Working for Crusoe, Sam Park, John Ramey. Friday, May 5th, 2023. There's a coronation this weekend in the United Kingdom. Royal family, new king. But there's also a jobs report. So we're going to make you eat your vegetables before dessert. Does that sound right, Sam? That's the best idea, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Before we get into the nuts and bolts of this here, this is... You know, I have not habitually studied job reports. I've encountered them working in news. But this is kind of the first time since we started this podcast, I have rigorously checked the report as they come out and kind of sift through the data beyond the headlines. Non-farm. Is this always included in these numbers, these non-farm kind of caveats with the data and the trends? Yes. And I just missed that? Yes, that's right. Why doesn't farm, why don't farm jobs count as part of the economy? Well, there's a number of reasons for that. First of all, it's kind of insulting to our friends in the agricultural sector, is it not? Well, I guess they'll have to console themselves with their lavish subsidies. Okay. Uh, first of all, in, in there's a sense in which farm jobs aren't jobs. Uh, they're seasonal. Okay. Uh, in many cases, illegal. Illegal, right off the books. Uh, sure. I mean, so, I could, okay, I could see that. Maybe we don't include it because it's so loosely uh, documented. Yeah, and uh, they are, in fact, corporate jobs, but they're not thought of that way, right? In other words, there's this web of, you know, agribusiness, but then, you know, the... the agribusiness corporations don't directly employ the laborers etc right there's this whole kind of ecosystem of of agricultural labor that does operate very differently from the the labor market that we use to determine the jobs output all right Uh, and so uh i mean this is a large and complex and not very pleasant question to answer. Frank. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm glad we got you out of the gates on fire. So the non-farm jobs report for April shows that, hey, the labor market, to quote the New York Times, still defying gravity. Employers added 253,000 jobs in April. That is up from the March number, which was 236,000. The unemployment. Roughly, yeah, I mean, it's up a little bit. Yeah. And the unemployment rate is down a little bit, a tenth of a percent. down from 3.5, which is the lowest since 1969 or January this year, depending on how you want to look at it. I mean, that's I I can't help but observe these things through like the the political lens of Biden's reelectability. So I'm going to scrub that from my mind because I suppose inflation is also tied to that. Sure. But I mean, this means the Fed has to just continue to jack rates, right? Well, not according to them. Uh, I mean, for instance, they raised rates another quarter point this week uh, and seemed to signal, according to commentators, that that this might be the end of rate hikes for a little while. It didn't help, of course, uh, that, or maybe it did help, depending on how you look at it, (laughs) that there was another bank rescue this week. For instance, this turmoil in the banking sector Analysts seem to think that it will continue, but not be catastrophic. In other words, there will be a few more banks to fail that have been poorly run, overexposed to 
interest rate hikes, etc. And that will sort of, quote unquote, help the Fed's job along, right? The credit conditions will tighten, which is roughly equivalent to hiking rates for the Fed without them having to actually do it. It'll just cause less money to flow throughout the system. Again, what's the de- definition of inflation, John? It is uh, too many dollars chasing too few goods. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so if there's fewer dollars, you reduce that as a disinflationary pressure. Um, so we'll see. Also, interest rate hikes are not believed to take effect automatically. It's sort of like when you apply international sanctions, right? It takes a while for these the, the pressures uh, unleashed by these measures to build up inside of an economy. So the Fed is, I believe this was their 10th consecutive rise in rates. Right. Banks are not compelled by like, um, you know, religious law to instantly reflect the fed rate yeah and apparently apparently, there's a lag time and yeah silicon valley bank didn't seem to do anything in response to the fed raising interest (laughs) rates and that's how they got into trouble you know uh the the fed is telling you what they're going to do but if you're too stupid to react then well uh i guess the fdic is going to have to pick up the tab on that one uh so the Fed doesn't think or seems to indicate that they're not going to at least raise rates right away. Uh, but things like the jobs report, like you're saying, right? If people were, if we're just going to keep hiring people, then the economy apparently isn't cooling off very much. Uh, and so we'll have to see how these things play out. The question I think is, even though we're still hiring, a lot of people in our economy. Uh, What will happen with inflation? Because as we've sort of discussed a little bit before, economics is a science of past outcomes. And we know that the economy evolves over time to become very different from what it used to be. Economics doesn't function in the same way in our modern economy as it did in our old industrial age economy uh there are and of course there are so many factors like the rise of china and the other developing markets uh in which the amount of capital sloshing around the world is just an multiples more is this why we've had a disruption in what was kind of a consistent recession cycle throughout the back end of the 20th century Right, I like think that's th- part of this it, is yeah. part of it, right? Like, yeah. as for opposed instance, to having- for, uh, up until recently, for a decade or two, economists were sort of scratching their heads and saying, "What happened to inflation?" Right, right. Uh, why do we not see it? And now, you know, we've got it back. But you know, some of some of them speculated that, well, look, we've just brought all this labor online from developing countries, mainly China, but other places too. Uh, that's going to really ch- the scale of that change is so large that uh, it's bound to have an effect that we've never seen before and therefore have never measured before. Uh, and it has to change our calculations. Uh, and it's like I've said 
in one of our earlier episodes where this is not physics. Gravity For is sure. the same all the time, everywhere. These things are not. Okay, you know, there's no such thing as marginal utility, right? There's a, in nature, there's no such thing as inflation, right? These are just, you know, things that we do. Uh, and so uh, we have to constantly be recalibrating our uh, assessments of how these things operate, as we do in other fields, by the way, right? For, uh, for example, journalism. Sure. Or, uh, any, or anything else that's, you know, a part of our... 21st century hyper digital global exactly uh now multi-layered networks but at, at the same time however inflation does seem to be moderating slowly and more slowly i think than the federal reserve would like uh but if inflation is moderating and we're not losing jobs that's great it would seem to be pretty good, I guess, right? I mean, I mean, considering what a bl- I just uh, the as we discuss this, seemingly every time, the blunt f- adjustment nature of what the Fed can do just is so bewildering that it is kind of shocking that they can get any kind of good result without completely knocking over all the China and the China shop. Well, that's what ha- what happened forty years ago, right? Right. I mean, it's. Uh, I, think I mean, that that, the, that seems to make sense to me more than like this soft landing. I'm like, you're going to thread the needle with like the, the least fine instrument ever. Yeah. And the but the thing is, circum, like I say, circumstances were so different sure. then that yeah. it's difficult to make any sort of direct comparison. I mean, we're looking at a Fed funds rate target rate that is of a little over 5%. We think that's, you know, uh, where they or that's where we're at now. And, uh, and maybe maybe it'll get up to six. The federal funds rate under Paul Volcker in the early 80s was 20 percent. Inflation was much higher than it is now also. So, again, we're talking about differences of scale that are just enormous. I mean, people are upset today about how inflation is. Can you imagine inflation being twice the rate of this for years on end? And that's what it was like back then. I have some good news. You may have seen this as well. The unemployment rate in April for black Americans reached its lowest point on record. What do we say? 3.5 for the overall economy, 4.7 for black Americans. And the gap between unemployment rates of white and black Americans is the smallest ever measured. Wow. I, did, I yeah. didn't see that. That's amazing. It is amazing, right? And And it's good because it's, I mean... It's good, period. But like, it's nice that this is happening at a low point in unemployment, too. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, if the, uh, if there was another depression and the Hoovervilles were integrated, we wouldn't be as happy about exactly it. Exactly right. You know, if if uh, if if black unemployment was 25 percent and white unemployment was 24 percent, that wouldn't right. be good. Less right? of a victory. Yeah. Uh, if, if any. Right. Uh, but so, again, we'll have to uh, we'll have to see how these things play out, but it seems sort of like Groundhog Day, right? Where it's okay. It kind of does feel like that. uh, It's like, okay, we're still not losing jobs somehow. Uh, But again, when economists a a few years ago were asking what happened to inflation, they pretty soon seems like they're going to have to start asking themselves what happened to unemployment, right? (laughs) And and that's just how the, the, the science works. Right. Things change and people have to figure out why if they can. I 
I also have to think unemployment, and I am not the smartest or most accomplished person to bring this up, but the way we measure unemployment is probably like two decades behind the way the actual job market works now. So many people are 1099 like me. <laughs> like I haven't been on a payroll in 10, yeah, 12 years, I, I, right? You're right about that. Uh, but that again, that's just another function of economics being a science of past outcomes. Right. right? Uh, we have these tools. And to be fair, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, sort of real-time data being uh, implemented, not so much by uh, uh, governmental authorities as by independent analysts who are looking at, at uh, you know, weekly, daily payroll reports and things like this uh, uh, in much something much closer to real time. It'll take some a while, I think, for institutional uh, authorities to sort of update their tool set, which, by the way, they shouldn't do haphazardly. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. All right, so they're crowning a new king. Well, he's already king in the yeah. United Kingdom, but this is the coronation ceremony for Charles and Camilla. Mm-hmm. I have a no, unique... It's for Charles. Well, but right? she's getting... She's getting... So she's she being... is being crowned, but only yeah. because she's married to him. Sure. Right? I mean, again, it's arcane. It's I don't quite get it all. And the the reason I don't get it is because I was born in the United States. It's my birthright to not pay any attention to the British Almost royal 30. family. And my perspective on this, Sam, just to share with our listeners, is very unique because I thought the monarchy was a very silly thing growing up in California. And then my late first wife was a Kiwi and very uh, dedicated and loved the queen and um it was a big deal in her family it was a big deal in her community this is new zealand now right and my current partner helen is english and is also a staunch supporter of the monarchy now these yeah, so are, you're sort of a brit in law i'm a brit in law and like and and these are not conservative people that have these opinions right that, that as you and i have talked about the kind of undying loyalty and championing of the monarchy in the United Kingdom is kind of bewildering for Americans, right? Is it? I mean, it's... Or we're kind of obsessed with it, too, but I guess for some of us. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, my uh, distaste for the royal family borders on the irrational, and some people would say actually lives full-time in the irrational. I actually uh, find it quite refreshing, again, because I'm around so many like people who are yay, queen, well, now king, Charles, right? So, yeah, and, you, but I, you're not I, on this. You know, people, people uh, it's on TV every day. Every right? day. And incidentally, I was watching uh, uh, a little, uh, when I turned on my television this morning, uh, it was on ABC, and so Good Morning America was on, and the lead-in music to their coverage of the coronation was London Calling by The Clash, which oh, I thought was staunch kind of loyal or staunch <laughs> royalists. Really? The Clash. I mean, but, you yeah. know, I mean, nobody, I guess they expect that their audience doesn't know what The Clash is about. They're probably right about that. That's hilarious, Sam. I, it really is. I mean, I saw, <laughs> you know, anyway. Uh, but... Part of I'm surprised that, they didn't come in with God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. Right, exactly, right? I mean, uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, we shouldn't forget that we began as a British colony. Glad right? you brought that up because that interview uh, that you sent me with uh, Santam Sangera. Yeah. He's like, look, 
the British Empire touches everything, right? It's hard to find something in the modern world that isn't because of or in some way related to the British Empire. And I think that's and certainly the, the United yeah, and the United States is maybe the biggest example of that. Yeah, that's the most important point here. For instance, Queen Elizabeth was on the throne. I think she's the longest serving monarch in world history, if I'm not mistaken, right, that, that we're aware of. Uh, in any case, she was on the throne for seven decades, which is a very long time, even if it's not the record holder. And the British Empire was so large and encompassed so many different parts of the world that it's not just that she is the longest monarch to ever serve, but she is monarchy in a way in the world, right? She is the representation of what it means to be a monarch. Right. There's no monarch of import uh, in the television age, except for her, for example. Exactly. Right. Nobody cares what the, the queen of Denmark looks like or does or anything like this. Right. It's it's. Elizabeth that represents the entire idea of monarchy. Uh, And this is what King Charles is going to have to inherit. Now, he won't be able to play anything like the same sort of role that his mother did just because he won't be able to to live as long. And uh, the empire is gone. Yeah, exactly. However, When Elizabeth took the throne, it was the beginning of the Cold War. And it seems as though her son will also take the throne at a similar inflection point in world history, where it really does feel like we're on something like a Cold War footing. Again, it won't be the same as the last Cold War, but it is that same sort of of polar uh, geopolitical struggle. And... The empire still figures into these things. For example, uh, when Elizabeth became queen, Nigeria and Sudan, the two African nations that we've been discussing recently, were both still parts of the empire. They, They were just beginning to dismantle the empire at that point. And that's just one example from many of the things that we've been talking about recently. I went to the Cayman Islands this past Thanksgiving for a basketball tournament. Picture the queen who is dead at that point, still hanging in the airport as I got out my passport. Right. I guess they'll, they'll swap, they'll swap that picture out this weekend. I guess one would think, Yeah, but, but maybe not. Maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. The one thing, I mean, the, the one time I did think the monarchy made a lot of sense was during the Iraq war. When I realized that there was an advantage to having a separate head of state who represents uh, the UK, Britishness, kind of a cultural position as opposed yeah, to permanent. Yeah, permanent. Right. As opposed to the head of government also being the head of state at that point, it was George W. Bush and he had very uh, stupidly led us into two terrible wars. And I thought, hmm. I suppose if like Stevie Wonder or somebody was the king of America, right, this might be there might be some advantages to that. While our government has terrible policies, but somebody like, you know, some universally renowned 
America. I mean, it's hard to conceptualize, right? But Stevie Wonder was the best example I could come up with at the time. I, I mean, uh, but I that's think, really the only time it has made sense to me. Also, I think that you know, uh, that hasn't stopped Britain from being governed by out and out bozos. In our well, that's right. Experience. It almost excuses so, it. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't go that far. I either. mean, not excuses it, but it almost gives like it gives the voters cover to elect bozos. Right, because they still have the monarch. Yeah, right. I hope they don't actually believe that. No. Um, I mean, but then again, you know, we elect bozos we, too. So, right. it, it, you know, what's the... Although the, the, much more recently, maybe, into the... Well, hard, hard to say. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, I think we're splitting hairs here for no okay. good reason. All right. Uh, uh, but we'll have to see how this works out for Charles. I mean, you're not going to watch, are you? Of course not. Okay. No, I don't mean the coronation. Yeah. Uh, for instance... Charles has been an activist prince. He has social. Yeah, he's causes. a huge climate change guy. Yes, and you know he's actually been a champion of organic farming yeah. for decades, long before it. Right, was. he's got cred in this in this area. Yeah, but he it's believed anyway that he's going to have to stop doing this sort right. of thing, uh, and I think that's probably true. But at the same time, Britain doesn't have a written constitution and if he's the king uh he might be able to sort of run his own monarchy and he seems to want to do that i'm not saying he's going to be going to continue to be as outspoken as he has been in the past but he might find a way uh to sort of cut a middle ground between what he was like as a prince and what his mother was like as queen uh there, there again. There's no constitutional reason why he can't do this. I'm not saying he will, but I think it's a possibility. And he just seems to be the sort of person who might want to do something like that. We'll see. It's it's very difficult to say. I mean, it would be amazing if uh, I guess the soft power of the British monarchy became kind of a, a guiding light of sorts for I suppose, and, climate and, awareness. So, not just soft, but unspecified right sure. it, uh, a general un- soft power yeah undefined yeah uh we'll see but all these things are sort of again there's so many echoes of of this the moment in which his mother became the monarch right that it's just i find it remarkable for instance uh parts of the british commonwealth are still leaving uh, uh i think last year barbados announced that they intended to become a republic and then uh, there was a panic in the royal family, and so they sent uh, Prince William and uh, his wife Kate to the Caribbean on a goodwill tour, and they arrive in Jamaica uh, only to have the Jamaican prime minister tell them that, hey, guess what? We're going to do that too. Uh, and so this is at least moderately embarrassing. But these uh, issues of empire are, in fact, still playing out. I almost feel like empire is analogous to Britain to what slavery was in our country. In other words, they're just like, oh, okay, uh, so you're free now. So we're good, right? We're good. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, no. no. I mean, uh, it's, and these sorts of things are still playing out. Again, it's not no coincidence that the West Indies, that's where the, sla- you know, that's where the slaves were. There's even talk there of reparations just like there are for slavery in our country. And there's no real accounting of 
what exactly the empire did to the colonies, right? It's, it's not. Well, there is accounting. Was. It's it's just not. I mean, s- scholars are slowly looking into it now in the UK on it, Charles's uh, request. Yes, that's right. And and to his credit, by to the his way, credit, although but, I believe one scholar as opposed to a panel, as they've done in uh, uh, with uh, one of the low countries with Belgium. Sure. And so, uh, right, exactly. With the in the, the what's now the Democratic Republic of Congo. Right. Uh, and. But again, it's to Charles's credit that he's requested this. Uh, and by the way, just because he's only requested it from one scholar doesn't mean that other people aren't going to be looking into it. And sure, they will be. Uh, and again, there's these questions of reparations and what the empire actually meant. And. This has resonance today because, for well, for many reasons, but for one in particular, as we know, uh, Russia specifically likes to champion or likes to per- portray itself as the champion of the global south, even though they're the most northern country we can possibly imagine. And possibly but, the most racist. Yeah, but uh, certainly up there. Yeah. But they... Uh, from the, Even going back to Soviet times, especially, right? There were... Uh, like to think of Cuba, themselves. Soviet Cuba, for example, yeah, and, you know, and on and on and on Angola, right? right. That we're the anti-imperialist country, right? We uh, stand against the colonizers. Uh, and so, uh, and they're still striking that same pose today. Uh, and with some effect, right? The uh, uh, there's, I mean, if you, if you're Sudanese, you're upset with the international community. That is, yeah, you're so listening. You're right? listening. If you're Sudanese, yeah, absolutely, right. Uh, why shouldn't we? Right. Uh, then again, when the Wagner Group is, you know, active in in Eastern Sudan and and helping, you know, the jet former uh, genocidists, uh, you know, maybe you're not so hip on Russia. You know, you're you're a thinking person. You can understand two things to be true at the same time. Right. But there is this still and again, this geopolitical contest of the Western countries against other countries and competing with uh, competing for influence in the still developing world. I find it fascinating that once again, India is basically the pivotal country. Right. I mean, you know, you can't divest the British Empire without first getting rid of India. That's literally the first thing that happened. Right. Uh, and so where's India going to go in today's contest? Nobody, you know, they're going to try and sit in the middle, obviously. Right. Uh, but what happens in India is enormously important in this equation. Right. Won- and that has a lot to do with the, with the British monarchy, you know, just even to this day. Yeah. It was the jewel in the crown, as right. they say. I mean. Just one of the. As you said before, Elizabeth became monarchy, right? I mean, most of us can't name another monarch, right? She was the Queen of England for the Queen of the United Kingdom for what since 1953 till last fall. So, like, can anybody besides her even do that job just by like Charles isn't as famous and the empire isn't there anymore, right? Like, even if he is a he plays it tonally perfectly on soft and general power issues will they just kind of maybe become irrelevant like the rest of the royal families 
that, uh, I, that time, I can't name yes. in, uh, in but, Europe? But the thing is, these issues with the empire are going to be ongoing. Then the British monarchy will still be a relevant institution just in terms of how these how those issues are going to be resolved. But you're right. Uh, nobody's going to be king for 70 uh, uh, monarch of Great Britain for 70 years again anytime soon. Right. Not in our lifetime. Certainly. Charles won't. And I don't know how old William is, but he's got to be 40, he's 40. I think. Right? So, yeah. So he'll, you know, uh, if Charles gets 10 years, then, you know, William might get 20 or 30. Right. Nobody's going to get to 70 anytime soon. Uh, and so you're not going to be, I mean, Elizabeth Oder status. A to be being empress when she started and and uh, and the ongoing influence of the empire, even at that point, and B for staying in 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 the position for such a long time. Nobody's going to be able to do that again. Uh, so. As these things play out. Uh, the, I think the influence of the and again, if they keep losing members of the Commonwealth, the, the influence will slowly decline over time. Uh, but as to how these things, the sort of reckoning with uh, the imperial legacy shakes out, that's still, I think, the big unanswered question. We're going to have to see how that works out. Uh, and there are real implications for that. I, again, going back to the point of the British Empire, it is hard to think of a, a, a time in the world after its occurrence or a place in the world after the British Empire happened, which is a debated point, apparently, uh, that isn't influenced by that, right? Oh, uh, that's because they said the yeah. sun never sets on the British right. Empire, right? But just so- th- think about anything that's happened. I mean, we could we could loosely say the British Empire is, you know, whatever, late 18th century, but... It's, it's it is kind of like you mentioned the empire to the uk is like slavery to the united states except for slavery in the united states was part of the empire right it's it's right, uh, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. they they weren't like pure concepts they were it was actually part it was subsumed by or it was the british empire was a larger thing than that that's right it's fascinating um in a way we might say that slavery was the north american theater right of uh, of British Empire, or an aspect of the North American theater of the British Empire. It is interesting to think about it like a world war, which, of course, for anybody who was a subject not in the United Kingdom, it kind of was. Sure, but yeah, but you're right. I mean, think about you know we we talked a few months ago about Iran, right? The the uh, overthrow of uh, Mossadegh in 1953 that was mainly a British operation, right. actually, with the with uh, help of CIA. Yeah, and of course, you as you'd expect, because Britain at that point had a very experienced intelligence service, and the CIA was a toddler organization at that point. You really needed people like the Brits to be able to pull something like that off. Uh, we talk about China all the time, right? One of the most pivotal. Uh, events of uh, recent Chinese history was the handover of Hong Kong in 1997, until that time, still a British holding. Uh, And at that moment, it had been and continued to be the main entry point of Western capital into the gradually opening up Chinese economy. Uh, And I think we can see that 
the more recent crackdown against Hong Kong by the Chinese Communist Party is because they don't need Hong Kong to be the entry point for Western capital anymore. They can do it on there without Hong Kong, right? That's not the only reason, but it's what, you know, it's, it's one part of, of it. Yeah, they, they could afford to to have turmoil in Hong Kong in a way that they couldn't previously. Um, as we mentioned, Sudan and Nigeria both used to be British colonies. And Ooh, so I've got a good one. Israel, Palestine. Right. Uh-huh. Exactly. Right. And that was one, also one of the earliest uh, divestitures. Uh, and uh, and you could go up Myanmar. I mean, you know, we right. could go on and on. It, and is, on. it is staggering to think of it conceptually, which I guess we don't often do. No. Uh, and I think, it, you know, in some ways, the British might prefer we didn't. Well, I think that's right. And I and again, my current partner, Helen, is multiracial British. Right. And it is not like it is here. Right. The the conversation around empire is not in at least in talking to her and and having been in her community over there. And it's you know, people don't talk about reparations. Right. People don't talk about defund the police because it's a, a racist institution or whatever. It is a totally different cultural attitude about the empire. Now, maybe it's a bit or rather completely under discussed, under reflected upon. But there does not seem to be kind of the grassroots groundswell of outrage about it that we have here. Now, maybe that's just cultural. Maybe I'm misunderstanding that. Well, I, I mean, I think there's look, there's any number of reasons that. I mean, of course, it's not apples to apples. No, uh, but one thing I would say is that uh, we were the country to which the slaves were imported. Right. Right. Uh, Britain wasn't, or England, that is, but the British Isles were not. Right. They dealt started dealing with uh, people of color later in at the end of the empire, as opposed to at the beginning right. of the middle of it. Right. It's. Of, right. The uh, Windrush generation is the 1950s. Yeah, that's yeah. very comparatively recent right here. It's foundational. Right. Yeah. Uh, we understand that we have to deal with it, uh, even though, you know, that is some of us would prefer that we still didn't didn't have to. But right. there's a broad acceptance right. of the fact that this is just something we're going to have to to, to deal with, uh, whether we like it or not. All right. So you're not going to watch the coronation. I don't think I will either. But uh, best of luck to King Charles in his. Sure, uh, you know what I mean. Uh, I, I'm not especially fond of him, but I hope he. Uh, I hope that things don't go as badly for him as they might. My wife and I wish you and your families a wonderful coronation weekend. Wherever you are traveling, we hope you have a safe and pleasant journey. And remember, please mind the gap. <laughs> <laughs> 